Greetings and welcome to The House Podcast. My name is Michael and I'm so glad that you're here listening with us. The House Podcast shares the message each week from our local gathering in Central Ohio, which is a gathering of those practicing or interested in practicing the way of Jesus together in our city. In addition to the message given each week by the speaker, we also occasionally will share bonus content, such as interviews with speakers, more in-depth discussion around certain topics, and practical exercises that can help you grow as an apprentice of Jesus. The House Podcast is part of the VIA Podcast Network, which is a larger network of podcasts, all designed to help you and your community live out the way of Jesus in your context. For more information about The House or VIA, you can find us at theviacollective.com. You can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at thehouse.gathering. If you would like to contribute to The House financially, you can also do that at theviacollective.com. We're so glad you're here with us today, and may you be blessed by this week's message. So thank you for coming to The House. Uh, My name is Dan Pound, and um, let's just start with prayer. Let's do that. We're going to start with prayer. Lord, I thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for the opportunity to deliver your message, to deliver your word. God, I just, I give you my mouth. I give you my thoughts. I give you my heart. Um, Lord, let it be your message tonight. I thank you for each and every person that came here tonight. They made it through the cold, wet, snowy conditions and the dark. Um, We thank you for all the people that had good intentions and, and still couldn't make it. We'll still bless those people also. Um, Lord, we just ask that you bless this time. Holy Spirit, we ask that you rest in this room and on our hearts, over the doorways, God, and on the chairs, that we could just experience your presence tonight. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so uh, we're back in Matthew, and uh, last week, Michael started in Matthew uh, chapter 3, and he preached on John the Baptist, and we're going to I'm going to review that just a little bit. We're going to touch on the baptism of Jesus tonight, but we're not going to focus on that. Um, we'll have a future message that really focuses on that. We're going to focus on the first temptation of Christ tonight. So, Matthew 3.1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Now, um, Michael did just preach on this, but it occurred to me that um, I don't know that I could say, like, point out on a map where the wilderness of Judea is. Um, So I did some research, and it's right here. This is the wilderness of Judea. And then Michael did talk about the Dead Sea, and he's been in the Dead Sea and kind of described it a little bit. I know for me, growing up, whenever I pictured the wilderness that the Bible referenced, I always pictured like a jungle, Right? I don't, I don't know. I grew up in the woods and the wild and wilderness, and it was, all, it was jungle and green. And um, for those of you that don't know, that's not what the wilderness of Judea looks like. It is truly the desert. And when the Bible describes it as a desolate place, like this is what the wilderness of Judea looks like. Desert, hills, rocks, sand. Here's a couple more pictures to get an idea of what that looks like and where John the Baptist was preaching and teaching. And so uh, Matthew 3.13 says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. And so Galilee is all the way up there in the north, way above the wilderness of Judea, and above where we think that Jesus met John to be baptized. So 
Um, we feel like it was right around in that area of the Jordan, just north of the Dead Sea and northeast of that wilderness area. That's, that's the idea of where we feel like he probably was baptized. And Matthew 3.17, while Jesus is being baptized, says, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. And so if you can picture it, like Jesus is there in the Jordan with John. And, you know, there's people that were there watching and that were there to hear John speak. And he's baptized. And there's like the dove and the light. I always picture like this big light that comes down. And then an audible voice of God that everyone is hearing declaring that Jesus is his son. And so then we'll skip to the the passage we're going to focus on tonight is the beginning of Matthew 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Luke also talks about this, and then Mark touches on it. And all three of those authors really agree that it was very immediate. Like, he got up out of the water immediate and went to the wilderness, or maybe it was the early that next morning, but very, very immediate. He went immediately into the wilderness. And they saw, they're talking about the Spirit, so that's the Holy Spirit. So he's feeling like he's led by the Holy Spirit. He's want, he wants to obey God. He's trying to obey God. He's feeling this urge to go into the wilderness so that he can be tempted by the devil. But let's talk about temptation for a minute and sort of define that a little bit. Uh, the Hebrew word for temptation is nasah. The Greek word is periazo. And really, they both mean something very, very similar. So both those words can be translated in a basic way to just mean temptation or to mean like a testing. Um, I do think that we see pretty clearly throughout the Bible, temptation doesn't come from God. Temptation is coming from the devil. Uh, But a testing can come from God. Uh, And then a deeper meaning would be like a situation that proves our character and shows the depth or integrity of our commitment to God. So Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit, encouraged, pushed, urged by the Holy Spirit to go into the wilderness, which we already saw some pictures of, pretty desolate place, and then he's going to be tempted by the devil while he's in the wilderness. So Matthew 4.1, he's led by the Spirit and tempted by the devil, and there's a clear distinction between those two. So this is the wilderness of Judea. We'll visit this map again. We feel like this is the wilderness that Jesus went back into. So he traveled kind of southwest of where he was when he had been baptized. But the two locations are pretty close together. And what do we learn? Led by the Spirit. So I feel like this idea of him being led by the Spirit, if we think about like a mountaintop experience, right? Maybe you've been on a youth retreat or a mission trip Or maybe you've been a part of um, a fantastic worship set or a a Bible study uh, and you found yourself maybe in this like mountaintop experience with the Lord where you just feel completely full of the Holy Spirit, in touch with God, ready to obey any command that he gives you and totally in lockstep with the Lord. You're in this mountaintop situation. I feel like that's where Jesus was. He had just been baptized, right? He's preparing for his ministry to start. And while being baptized, literally the audible voice of God is heard to confirm you are my son. 
in whom or with whom I'm well pleased. Like Jesus is experiencing, in my opinion, this sort of mountaintop experience before his ministry starts. And he's obeying the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit tells him, go to the wilderness. And so in that place, I believe he's also in a space of preparation. And we did a big study on silence and solitude, right? And for me, that's really difficult. That was well established. But we feel like Jesus really enjoyed that. He looked forward to that. He found ways to commit himself to silence and solitude. So Jesus is going to the wilderness, and I think he's excited about it. He feels good about obeying. He's excited to obey. He wants to obey and be in line with his Father, God. He's obeying the Holy Spirit, and he's preparing for his ministry to launch. I don't know that he knows exactly why he's going to the wilderness. I don't know that Jesus knows the timetable necessarily. We have a little, we have a bigger picture because we can read on, right? But in that moment when Jesus is going to the wilderness, I don't know that he knows how long he'll be there or exactly what the purpose is. But he's also going to be tempted. So tempted by the devil, I feel like that's kind of like a spiritual attack. And maybe you've experienced a spiritual attack. Maybe you haven't. I know for me in my life, it seems like when I'm preparing for a retreat or preparing for a mission trip, um, there can be a time of spiritual attack that comes. Or maybe right after. Some of us in this room are married. Some of us aren't. Um, if, If I have a really deep spiritual encounter and my wife doesn't, maybe she wasn't there Uh, or, you know, she does and I don't. For us, we've discovered in our marriage that creates a a possibility of spiritual attack. And if you're not married, maybe the way that you can kind of empathize with that, maybe you have a really close friend or maybe you have a really close sibling and maybe you've experienced something similar where you've been on a mountaintop and you're you're excited, right? And you're feeling like you're on fire and you're trying to explain some of that or maybe share some of that testimony. And then... just feels like there's a little bit of a, of a disconnect with whoever that person is because they weren't there, right? They can't, they're happy for you or whatever, but they can't experience it with you. And I feel like Jesus was in a situation where he, whether he knew it or not, he was preparing for a spiritual attack. I think spiritual attacks can come in different ways for different people. I know for my wife and I, typically for us, it, it a spiritual attack for us will put us um, in arguments with each other or disagreements with each other. Um, I, I've heard other people explain that, you know, they feel like when they're being attacked, their schedule is being attacked or things keep happening that keep them from being able to do what they feel like God is pushing them to do. I know other people have shared testimony um, that I've heard where they feel like their spiritual attack was financial. You know, something, things in their house were breaking or their car broke down or just things We're being attacked in ways that aren't normal, that are designed to distract us from what God's plan is, or being able to obey, right? And so I feel like Jesus is led to the wilderness so that he can prepare for his ministry, but also so that he can be in preparation for this attack that's coming, even though he didn't know necessarily that it was coming. So Matthew 4, 2, after fasting, 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, we're going to pick this verse apart a little bit. And at first, you're going to be like, wow, Dan, such a deep analysis. This is fantastic. 
so glad I came. But just hang with me because we're going somewhere, all right? So he's there, and Matthew tells us he fasted 40 days, 40 nights, and he was hungry. So what do we learn from this? Number one, he fasted for 40 full days. Deep, right? I get it. But that's a big deal. It's important that we recognize, Matthew says, it was 40 full days and 40 full nights. Because it was a common custom in that day, especially in Jewish culture, to fast for the day and not during the night, right? So they actually invented intermittent fasting. And I don't know if you know this or not, but all Jewish men were super cut. Just kidding. This is like an abs joke. Okay, anyway, because of intermittent fasting. All right, we'll move on. So Jesus wasn't fasting during the day and then eating at night. Matthew makes a point. He fully fasted all the days and all the nights. He didn't eat any food for 40 full days and 40 full nights. And then he makes the point to even go beyond that and say he was hungry, right? It says it right there in the Bible verse, and he was hungry. So Jesus was physically hungry. Now, I have not fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. My father did, my mother has, my older brother has. I know people that have done that. And especially that last week is physically very taxing, changes your body quite a bit. But it also puts you in a position to be very spiritually strong. And I feel like in this moment, Jesus was very spiritually strong. So physically hungry, probably even physically weak, but spiritually we know because he didn't fall to any temptation, we know that he was strong and right before his ministry. So let's move on. Matthew 4, 3. The tempter came to him. We already know that's the devil. The tempter came to him and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread, right? It's the first temptation. And I feel like this is kind of a strange temptation. I don't, if the Bible didn't come right out and say it's a temptation, if I was just reading this, I don't know that I would think, oh, Jesus is being tempted here, right? So number one, the fast is over. It's been 40 days and 40 nights. So it's not like he's cheating on the fast. If he just turns some stones into bread, like the fast is over, you should be able to eat. So I don't see how this is a temptation necessarily, how it, how it would be a sin. Why would it be considered a sin? Also, Jesus does miracles with food in the future, like way more than just stones into bread. So, and we know of other miracles with food from the Old Testament, like food miracles obviously aren't sinful. So to me, especially when you look at the other two temptations, this is, it's kind of a strange temptation, at least when you look at it on the surface. Let's dive in a little bit more. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. I think a lot of times where we focus is the stones to bread part and not the, if you are the son of God. It's, for me, in my mind, it's kind of like, you know, Jesus is there and he's, he's towards the end of this fast and, and Satan shows up and he's like, oh man, you're so hungry. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. If you're the son of God, why don't you just turn these stones into bread? No big deal, right? And he sort of glazes over that part or, or skates through that part. But if you remember when Jesus was baptized, Matthew 3, 17, a voice from heaven says, this is my son. So Satan is directly attacking Christ's identity. 
He already knows the truth. God gave him the truth 40 days and 40 nights earlier, right? Maybe 41. God audibly spoke it. You are my son. And Satan moves in and he's trying to attack Christ's identity and kind of giving him this option of, why don't you just do this little miracle? You're super hungry, obviously. Just eat some bread. No big deal. Fast is over. Why don't you just eat? But what he's really doing is challenging Christ's identity and trying to trick Jesus into proving. What do you mean if I'm God's son? God just told me I'm his son. Of course I am. Obviously I could do this. Boom. Stone's bread. Right? But thankfully Jesus doesn't do that. Let's dig a little bit deeper. Satan is attacking a need. He's attacking Christ's physical need to eat. I don't know about you, but I know when I have a major physical need that in my mind isn't being met, I am way more susceptible to falling to temptation. You guys with me on that? If I'm hungry, (laughs) yes, right? We have a whole new word that was invented, I don't know, within the last 10 years probably to describe that situation. And, that, and that's the temptation that I am most likely to fall to is the temptation to release my wrath on whoever is near me because I haven't eaten, right? Come on, Brittany, where's my breakfast? Obviously, I don't treat her that way. That wouldn't go over well for any of the rest of my meals. But hangry is a thing. If I'm feeling hungry, I'm more likely to fall to that temptation of anger or maybe tired. If I'm feeling tired, that could be, uh, a situation where I might fall to some, some temptation of anger or even laziness. Maybe it isn't angry, but I, but I sin in my laziness. It could be that. Any kind of physical um, need that we feel like we have, or even just a need, it could be that we feel like we're not, we have an emotional need that isn't being met, a financial need that isn't being met. When we identify that there's a need that needs to be met, then a lot of times we're faced with the temptation to meet that need ourselves as opposed to obeying God and allowing him to meet it the way that he wants to meet it. I think number two, he's attacking Christ's identity, proving, telling him to prove that he's the son of God. Why don't you just prove it? But he masks it with this physical need. I think that's so common. I know in my life, probably in yours also, where we get, we get tempted by just this basic surface level, I just need to solve this need, but it's really so much deeper and goes way deeper than just that physical need. Matthew 4.4, 4, this is what Jesus, how he responded. And I think this gives us a clue into what was really happening. So he says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus didn't fall to the temptation. Maybe you knew that, maybe you didn't. He didn't sin, but he refutes Satan with scripture. This is from the Old Testament out of Deuteronomy. And so we, we look back at that, it's a strange temptation idea. And I think, again, it's strange if you look at the surface, but if you dig a little bit deeper, it, I don't know that the fast was really over. Like a 40-day, 40 40-night 40 fast is kind of like that's, I don't don't want to say that that's normal or common because I haven't done it. I don't know if you have done it or not. But in the Christian community, that's like the creme de la creme fast. Like those are the numbers, right? 40 days, 
40-day fast, I'm doing it. This is the year. I mean, not for me, but I'm just saying, that's kind of in, in the Christian world, that's it, right? So we assume it was over. I don't know in this moment that Jesus knew the fast was over. 40 days and 40 nights had happened. He was clearly hungry, but I think in his mind, it might not necessarily have been over. So had he actually turned, you know, stones into bread and then eaten it, um, I think for him, what he's doing is disobeying. It's not that he's just trying to make it to the end of the fast. For him, it isn't the fast, it's obeying. He obeyed the Holy Spirit and went into the wilderness, and he just wants to obey God. God didn't say, okay, your fast is over, turn stones into bread. Just because he can do it doesn't mean that God is allowing him to do it. And just because you can solve a physical need in your life in some way, shape, or form doesn't mean that's the way that God wants you to solve it necessarily. And I think that's part of what we can take away from this. We're going to be tempted with solving a physical need or some kind of need, but if our goal is to actually obey God, we, we understand that that need will be solved, but not the way that we feel like it should be solved or the way we're be, being tempted, but the way that God wants it to be solved. So again, if we dig a little bit deeper, this need that Satan was attacking was physical. And I think probably for us, depending on where we are in our lives, depending on where we are uh, financially, spiritually, emotionally, it might change the way that that temptation comes. It could be a need for relevance as opposed to a need for food, right? It could be a need um, for acceptance or uh, fame or security. You know, it could be a need... There's millions of different needs that um, I think even Satan can invent for us to feel like we need. I need that bigger house. I need that faster car. I need that girlfriend. I know, um, so I had, a, I had a serious girlfriend my senior year of high school. And we ended up, I went to college five and a half hours away. And we were kind of on again, off again for that year. And then that summer, after my freshman year, totally broken up 100%, all ties severed. And so going into my sophomore year of college, this is literally what I'm praying for. Okay, Lord, this is what I need. I need a new car that won't break down all the time. I need a job because I have to have some money while I'm in college. I need a girlfriend, and I need a watch. Those were my four prayers. How clearly superficial and ridiculous, right? But in my mind, the temptation was to fit a mold and to feel like I had made it those were the four things I needed. In a weird way, I was praying for them. Not praying, God, what do I need? But deciding this is what I need now, God, please make it happen. All right, so a little bit backwards, obviously. But falling to the temptation of these are the things that I'm being tempted to need and then trying to achieve those things. So Matthew 4.11. This is, this is the major risk that I feel like we run when we fall to temptation and we try to solve those needs on our own. This is at the very end of all three temptations. Now, Zach is going to talk about temptation two next week, and then Matthew, um, temptation three the week after that. So I don't want to, I'm not going to go into any of that, but this is the very end after Jesus hasn't fallen to any temptation. It says, then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. 
So often we trade what God has planned for us for that temporary solution, that sin solution. This sin will solve my need that I have right here in this moment. And we choose that over what God has planned. Now, I don't know, I'm pretty positive I've never eaten a meal prepared by angels. But for sure, the meal that angels prepared for him tasted better than stone turned into bread. Right? Now, that was, that was the temptation. That was the sin solving the need. Let me turn stone into bread. But in the reality, God had planned for Jesus angels, literal angels coming and taking care of you. And pre- I'm sure preparing a meal for you and attending all of your needs. And I, the message I want to finish with tonight and land is a decision for you to make whether it's in the small things of your life or the big things of your life, how much longer will you choose to solve your need through sin or through falling to a temptation as opposed to just choosing to obey and allow God to solve it? The the prize, I think, is obvious. His solve is majestic. His solve is angelic and is a part of a master plan. And if we agree to obey, even when it doesn't make sense, even when we have a quick fix and we could solve that problem right there, we could solve that need right there, how much longer will we continue to solve it that way? Let's pray.